0: Turn with, your, with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, also Mark Romans chapter 11, verse 29. We didn't quite get back to Romans eleven twenty nine 29 this morning in the first service, but I believe we'll get there today. Um, I'm excited about the story that I want to continue telling you today that we began last week. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. If you're there, say amen. This is Jesus speaking. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I want you to note these words here. The time is fulfilled. Jesus came at a specific time. It wasn't random, it wasn't by accident, but there was a specific time that he came to the earth. And something was fulfilled. The time had to be fulfilled, and it was. We're going to talk about that more today. Romans chapter 11, verse 29, reading now from the New Living Translation. For God's gift, gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. That's a wonderful scripture right there. His gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. I want to continue today in our series that we began last week, simply entitled The Story of Christmas. You see, what you may not realize is that the story of Christmas is not really a story about wise men and shepherds and and a manger and, and all of these things that are wonderful. It's not about Christmas trees. It's not about Santa Claus. It's not about giving presents and meeting together with our families. That's not really what the Christmas story is. You see, the Christmas story is actually one massive love story. It's the story of a God who loved you and I and loved the children of Israel so much that He sent His Son to this earth with the purpose, with the specific intent to die for us. It is a love story. We won't take a real long time today, uh, but truthfully we're going to have a a bit of a study. I I want you to understand something about the Bible today. So I'm going to spend the first portion of the sermon just laying out some history and helping you get a context of the world into which Jesus was born. Because I believe it's very important for us to understand the context surrounding the stories of the Bible. Because if we don't, we miss much of what the Word of God is trying to tell us and teach us. One of my great dreams in life is to go and visit the Holy Land. I want to go to Israel. I want to go to Jerusalem. I want to walk where Jesus walked. I want to gaze upon the stars that David did. I I, I want to smell it and look at it and taste it and... I, I want to look at the Dead Sea and uh, all those things. I want to I get baptized in the Jordan River just like Jesus did in the place where Jesus did. I can't wait. One of these days, the Lord is going to bless me. But until then, I'm just going to have to deal with my books and my Bible programs and, and a little bit of Google to understand the culture uh, that Jesus uh, lived in. But I believe it's so important to understand this, to understand the culture and the society and and why he came uh, at that time. Next week, we have our Christmas program. The following week, I want to talk to you about the people to which Jesus came. But today, I want to talk to you about the time that he came, the time that was fulfilled. Here's a very important thought for you. What would the world look like today if Jesus had never come? What would the world look like if Jesus had never come? You wouldn't recognize America and you wouldn't recognize yourself if Christ had never come. The Jesus that you know and love, if he had never visited here, if you had never said the sinner's prayer, if you had never stepped foot in a church service just like this, if you had never experienced his presence the way you have, you you wouldn't recognize yourself and you wouldn't recognize the world because he changed everything. America would be remarkably different for one reason. Uh, we are all Gentiles, For the mo- not all, but most of us are Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, then you are a Gentile. And, 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 and because of that, many of us would not be practicing Judaism. But even those that were practicing Judaism, uh, we would be living in a sacrificial system. A system based off the sacrificing of the Lamb. So that we would, we would be going to the temple, if you were a practicing Jew, you'd be going to the temple every year and you'd have to raise a spotless lamb. If you couldn't do that, you'd have to buy one and journey there and make a sacrifice and worship. And this would be the culture and the system that you lived in. You wouldn't understand the blood of Jesus. You wouldn't understand true forgiveness because your sins would just be rolled back year after year after year. There would never have been a cross. There would never have been a Calvary. It's hard for us to comprehend this, but this is the world that Jesus was born into. You see, you have to understand that when Jesus came, the Jews had been practicing uh, Judaism for thousands of years. They had been sacrificing and worshiping and praying for the Messiah that never seemed to come. It never seemed to happen. In fact, they had gone almost 430 years before Jesus came without ever hearing from God. From when Malachi stopped speaking, when he, when he declared his last words at the end of the Old Testament to the birth of Jesus to, into the New Testament, uh, there's about 430 years there where God is not speaking to the world. So now get a picture of this. You are praying for the Messiah. You are going through your sacrifices, but year after year after year... Generation after generation after generation. People were born, lived their entire lives praying for a Messiah, and then died still waiting for the Messiah to return. I, last week we talked about Zacharias and how Zacharias drew, the lot was cast and it fell on him. that, that One day it was going to be a once in a lifetime opportunity for him to go into the temple. <coughs> Excuse me. something's not right. For him to go into the temple and pray at the altar of incense. And what he was specifically praying for was praying for Israel and praying for the Messiah to return. Now, every day they did this for thousands of years, praying the same prayers. One of the the, uh, priests would go in and pray this prayer. I don't know that Zacharias thought this, but I'm just going to tell you if it was me. And every day I've been watching this happen, and every day one of the priests has been going in to pray for the Messiah to return for thousands of years, and now it's my turn. I wonder if he was thinking like I would as he was making his journey towards the door of the temple, if he was thinking, is my prayer really going to do any good? I mean, think about it. Thousands have gone before me. Am I any better than those that when I go in and pray, suddenly God's going to answer my prayer? This is the world to which Jesus came. It was a world in desperate need of a Savior. It was a world in desperate need of the Messiah. It was a world in desperate need of something to change. You see, the Bible is huge and it spans a massive amount of time. And if we don't, uh, and sometimes we lose touch with the context and the in the in the chrono, chronological order in which things are happening. First of all, because uh, we preachers, starting with me, jump all around from the Old Testament to the New backwards and forwards, and, and, and we don't really preach the Bible in chronological order. There's a lot of reasons for that. I am not remotely saying that it's wrong. Uh, I'm, we do our best to hear from God and to deliver to you the word that God has spoken into our spirit. But it doesn't typically fall in a chronological order. Right? So that gets us all discombobulated with, with what's happening uh, as we look at the Bible. And we don't really know fully what's happening, when and where and how it worked. <clears throat> the second thing is, the Bible is not... ...laid out in chronological order. The Bible is laid out in groups. The first group is the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. The books of law, you may know it as the Torah... Uh, the second is the historical books. And then you go to the, to the poetical books. Then you go into the prophetic books. You've got the major prophets and the minor prophets. That concludes the Old Testament. You start the New Testament with the Gospels. Then you go to, to the book of Acts, which is another historical book. Then you go to the epistles. Uh, the, uh, the, the Pauline epistles, which is the letters of Paul. Then the general epistles, which is the letters of, of Peter and James. The book of Hebrews and things. And then you conclude with uh, the book of Revelations, which is another prophetic book. So these things are laid out by groups, not by chronological order. So sometimes it's good for us to stop and look at the timeline of what's happened in the context of Scripture. Can I take you through that really quickly? Okay. Some of you are like, I don't know, Pastor, I came to church, not school today. so <laughs> Uh, You may want to grab, if you're taking notes or something, and just maybe grab the back of an envelope and draw you a little timeline, and I'm just going to show you a couple of important dates so you can kind of get a picture of what's going on. Um, Jesus was born basically around 1 A.D. Some historians say it was the year 6 B.C. Some say it was 1 A.D. Some say it was 3 A.D. Uh, But bear with me here. Uh, their calendars were a little rough back then, and, and they did their dates a little differently than we do, so just bear with me. And let's say it was, he was born around the year 1 A.D. Jesus is born 1 A.D. 2,000 years before Jesus is Abraham, Father Abraham. There's 2,000 years span, before, so there's Jesus at 1 A.D. and Abraham at 2,000 B.C. 2,000 years before Abraham is Adam. So now march with me here. You've got Adam. 2,000 years later, you have Abraham. 2,000 years later, you have Jesus. You notice some important events going on every 2,000 years? 2,000 years later, you have us. I believe there's something noteworthy to be said that God is doing something in this generation. 2,000 years between each of these. Then you look back and you say, Okay, from Abraham to Jesus was 2,000 years. And right in the middle, in about the year 1,000 B.C. or so, is David. So from Abraham to David is 1,000 years. And from David to Jesus is 1,000 years. This is very important to note that that there was 1,000 years from David to Jesus. The reason this is important... Is because they had to, the the Messiah had to come through the bloodline of David. He had to be a descendant, a literal blood descendant of David. So they had to be able to track for 1,000 years the bloodline of David in order to know whether or not a person was truly the Messiah. So when Jesus came, he had to be from the lineage of David. Now, something. Different happens in the year 721 B.C. 720, excuse me, 720 B.C. Something terrible happens. You'll remember when we spoke about the harbingers a few weeks ago. How in 732 B.C. The Assyrians came in. They breached the walls. They attacked the Israelites. They left a wake of devastation. And then they retreated. They came in. They destroyed and then they left. That was 732 B.C. And God gave an opportunity for Israel to return to him. Israel did not return to him. They didn't listen. In fact, they said, you'll remember the scripture, uh, the the bricks have fallen, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. You'll remember that scripture from Isaiah chapter 9. And so they didn't return to God. So in 720 BC, the Assyrians now, the same group of people, the same terrorists, the same army, they come back in and they take over now for good. And they they invade and conquer and take into captivity Israel and all of their land. So now for the first time in the history of the children of Israel, they are in captivity in their promised land. They have been conquered in their own land. This has never happened before. So the Assyrians ruled for about 150 years or so. And then in the year 586 BC, the Babylonians came in and ran off the Assyrians. And now they are ruling over the, the Israelites. They are ruling the country and, and the world at the time. They were in power for about 50 years or so. And then in 537 B.C., the Medo-Persian Empire came in and took over. You'll remember, this is where uh, they took Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they removed them, took them back to Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar and all that. You may remember those stories. This happens uh, around the year 537 B.C., Then in 333 BC, the fourth uh, nation state came in and conquered. This was the Greeks and Alexander the Great. They came in and they had conquered the known world uh, or or that portion of the known world and they took over Israel. Now Alexander the Great and the Greeks are ruling. They rule for about 270 years and left a massive impact on the culture and the society in Israel at the time. If you've ever asked yourself, why is the New Testament written in Greek? It's because of the impact that the Greeks had on culture at that time. They had a massive impact on culture, uh, and still have. They have a massive impact on our culture. Well, somewhere around 63 BC, the Romans come in, they drive out the Greeks, and they overtake them, and now the Romans are ruling. The Roman Empire is in charge. Uh, I look at this because, as you track with me for seven hundred and twenty years, how the children of Israel have been taken into captivity, they have endured unimaginable hardship, they have been cast into slavery and to bondage their their homes have been taken their their wealth has been taken, their land has been taken they are literally owned by other countries. As a matter of fact, the, the Roman emperor, Caesar, uh, believed that he was God. And he wrote on, on an inscription and in all of their coins and all of their money, it said, Son of God on it. And so now he was, being, he was forcing a people to live under this terrible hardship. And yet through it all, it's an absolute miracle that the Jews could survive as a recognizable people. Most people groups would have been wiped off the map as they were dispersed throughout the world, as they were taken from their homes, taken from their temples of worship, taken from their their families. They would have just become a part of the rest of the world. But somehow, the Jewish people stayed together as a recognizable people group. They had to. They had to keep the lineage clear because remember, they had to be able to track it. If the Messiah was going to return, he had to come in the lineage of David and they had to be able to prove it. So somehow in the midst of all of this, they were able to track their lineage through 720 years of captivity and and know that Jesus was born a son of David. We can't just know that this happened, but we have to remember how amazing it is that God kept this thing together for so long in spite of all that was happening. And when we remember this, we remember that God has something in store for us. Even though times uh, may seem to be tough and the devil may seem to be attacking and it may not be working like we thought it should, God is continuing to work on his plan in us despite of what the world may think. He is working on something in you, and He is working on something for you. I want you to understand the kind of God you serve. Uh, He had to allow the Israelites to fall into bondage because they had broken their covenant. He had to allow it to happen, but He never stopped working on their behalf. He He kept creating and kept working to create a place and a time to which He could send the Messiah, the Savior. Last week we talked about having faith when it seemed like your promise delayed. Today we're going to continue in that thought. And we're going to understand that the same God who held his people together for 720 years. While they were dominated, enslaved, dispersed, their language was stolen. They took their freedom and no one knew who they were but God. But God said, I've prophesied it and I'm going to see it come to pass. I will send a Messiah. And he's going to change everything. So it begs this question of me and a very important question of you. Why did he do it? Why did God stick with it? Why did God stay with the children of Israel? Why didn't he go a different direction? Why didn't he choose someone else? Why did he stay with the Israelites? After time and time and time again, they had rejected him and they had turned away from him. They had refused to return. Why is it that God stood with them? This is a very important question. I'm reminded of the story of Moses and Aaron as they are out with the children of Israel into the wilderness. They've come out of bondage in Egypt. They've come out of slavery. God has led them out of there through the plagues and through all these miracles that he's done. He's led them. They walked across the Red Sea on dry ground, turned around to see the sea crash in, drowning every one of the Egyptians so much that dead bodies were washing up on the shore is what the Bible literally says. Uh, what an amazing thing that happened. They're, they're sitting every day. They're eating manna, which is a bread that was, came up from the ground uh, that was supernaturally provided by God. And, and quail that, that would just fall from the sky every morning. They're being supernaturally provided for. There's water. They had no water for two million people. God said, strike the rock. And out of the rock comes water. Enough to, to water all of these people and all of their families and all of their livestock. And in the midst of that, in the midst of the most incredible miracles that the world may have ever seen up until then or since, Moses goes up to the mountain to pray and as he's receiving from God, he lingers a little too long and the people become antsy and they begin to complain and they go to Aaron and they say, Aaron, you've got to make us a God. We need someone to worship. And so Aaron says, bring me all of your gold. And he fashions it into the into the uh, image of a golden calf and he presents it to the people and he says worship the golden calf this is now your god so they begin worshiping moses comes down from the mountain he's he's angry he throws the the, the stones down the tablets and he breaks them in his anger and he's just furious and he says aaron what is going on here and aaron said i don't know man i just threw the gold in the coin, in, in the fire and all this popped out i had nothing to do with it But even in that, God chose Aaron to be the high priest. There's a story of redemption even in the life of Aaron. Why did God stick with him? Time and time again, he said prophet after prophet after prophet. He warned them, and yet he stuck with them. The answer is very simple. The answer is that God had cut covenant with Abraham. Covenant comes from our Hebrew word, barith, berith, And it literally means to walk between or walk upon bloody, sacrificed flesh. Uh, this is an entire teaching in and of itself. I don't have time to go into it today, but I'm just going to take a couple of minutes to show you one thing about it. Uh, and, then, and then we're going to close this morning. Ronnie, I'm going to get you to help me again uh, in this service. Hopefully you guys can see over there. In, in uh, the Old Testament, they would do what was called cutting covenant. And they would take a sacrifice, cut it in half, put two bloody halves on each side of the ground. Because remember, covenant means to walk between or to walk upon a bloody uh, sacrificed flesh. And so they would place them on each side. And the two men that were coming in covenant together would stand in between them back to back. So imagine with me, if you will, uh, if there is a bloody sacrifice here and another sacrifice here. Ronnie and I are going to come into covenant together. And so what would happen was, as you were cutting covenant, each party would begin back to back and they would walk in a figure eight Uh, motion around each of the sacrifices until they came back together so Ronnie will begin walking so they would walk in a figure eight motion walking around the sacrifice then they would come across go on keep on going then they would walk around this side of the sacrifice and when they came back together notice now we're face to face this is what God did with Abraham father Abraham it's an incredible story of what he did when he cut covenant with Abraham on that wonderful and glorious day that, that, that did so much for you and I. I don't even have time to go into all of it. But, but the Bible, the, 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 as the Bible goes, uh, Abraham was put to sleep and literally Jesus Christ stood in for him and cut covenant on his behalf for what was to come in the future. It's an amazing story um, because Jesus, God knew what was coming. When he cut covenant with Abraham, it was a very serious thing. And he is looking into the face of Abraham. And Abraham is looking in the face of God. And they are cutting covenant together. What a day that must have been. Thank you, Ronnie. When they cut covenant together. Now, something interesting about this. In this particular sacrifice, God told Abraham, I want you to sacrifice Five specific animals. Now this is unique because typically uh, they only sacrifice one animal. They would typically sacrifice a lamb. That's why when Jesus uh, is, is known as the sacrificial lamb of God. Because that's what they would typically sacrifice. But in this instance, they sacrificed five. Why did they sacrifice five? Our Jewish brethren, rabbis tell us, that these five animals were symbolic of something very important. These five animals that they walked between or walked upon were symbolic of the five nations that would bring Israel into captivity. Because here's what had happened. God is not bound by time. And what that means is, First of all, he can do it whenever he wants, however he wants. But it means something even more important than that. It means that God is looking at time all in front of him at the the same moment. And he can step into the future and then step into the past basically at the same time. He doesn't have to... He's not walking through life in chronological order like you and I are. So understand what is happening here. God said... Years before uh, 1,300 years or so, before they would go into bondage, he's standing here facing Abraham, and he says, "I want you to make five sacrifices representing five countries that 1,300 years from now, they're going to put you in bondage into captivity. But remember what covenant means. It means to walk upon or walk between uh, bloody flesh." To walk upon means to take dominion over. So here's what God saw: I'm cutting covenant with you, but I want you to know that even though these five nations are going to overtake you and try to and try to disperse you and 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 wipe you out, I want you to know that even right now while I'm cutting this covenant with you, you are already as you walk upon them in an effort. It's not just a sign of covenant, but it's a sign of taking dominion over. You will. Take dominion over these nations, even though right now there will be a time when you'll be under captivity, you will literally take dominion over them. So, as you are walking upon the bloody flesh, you are literally prophesying about your future a future which God had already seen. He said, Step on them because you'll be captured, but you will eventually overcome. Why is this important? Why is this important? Because as God was looking into the eyes of Abraham, and Abraham with all of the love and the genuineness of his heart, with all the faith that he could muster as as one of the fathers of our faith, he was going to do everything he could to walk with God. And Abraham was an upright man. He did everything he could to raise his family that way. He made a covenant. But look at God. He had already been to the future and knew that they were going to break it. And yet he still came back. And as he looked in the eyes of Abraham, Abraham and all of his uh, hope and his dreams, God knows that they would one day break the covenant. And yet God still cut covenant with them anyway. I've been renting uh, my house this year. My wife and I, we we moved out and we're renting our house and working to get out of debt. And we've struggled with some of our renters. Uh, If you're a renter, be good to your landlord. Uh, If you're a landlord, be good to your renter. (laughs) Uh, Got a few amens on that one. But imagine with me, if you will, if you were going to go rent a home. It's the winter time. Beautiful weather outside. It's not hot, but it's nice and cool, and you really just need a heater. And the home you want to rent does not have an air conditioner. But you're not worried about it because it's cold outside. You don't need an air conditioner. So you, stip- uh, you make a stipulation in your contract that you know you're aware that the landowner is not providing an air conditioner. And you're aware of that, and you're okay with it. And you sign the contract, and all is well. November, December. January, everything is lovely. February, everything is wonderful. The heater's working, everything is good. March, uh, you open the windows and the breeze is blowing and it's just nice. April, it starts to get a little warmer. By the end of May and the beginning of June. Summer's coming, baby. (laughs) And it's starting to get hot. It's starting to get warm. You're starting to sweat. And you start thinking to yourself... This landowner needs to provide me an air conditioner. Where's the air conditioner in this place? Now you can go back to the landowner and you can demand that he provide to you an air conditioner. But you know what? You have no legal basis because you signed a contract that said, I know there's no air conditioner here. So you went into it knowing. You went into it knowing there was no air conditioner. Put it in yourself if you want to, but he doesn't have to because you went into it knowing. Are you with me? Think about this with God. The reason he couldn't turn away from the children of Israel is because when he, broke co- when he made covenant with them, he already knew that they would break it. So he couldn't turn back later and say, I'm giving up on you. He he couldn't turn back later and say, nope, I'm going to turn away from you, forget you, I'm going to find me another, I'm going to start this plan over. He couldn't do it because he knew what was going to happen going into it. So he said, I've got to stick with a plan. 720 years in captivity, 720 years when they're they're dispersing you and beating you down and hardship and struggles. Children of Israel, I love you so much that even when Abraham was there, I knew this was going to happen and I couldn't covenant with you anyway because that's how much you mean to me that's the god that we serve romans the scripture i read to you at the beginning of the service i'm going to bring this back to you and i now because the same god that did that uh, for them wants to do it from us romans chapter 11 verse 29 for god's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn Because you have to understand something about your life. When you came into covenant with him when you said that sinner's prayer, when you gave your heart and your life to Him, and you've got to know, He already saw you fall away. He already saw you fall short and mess up. He already saw you fall back into addiction. He already saw you fall back into pornography. He already saw you struggle with this and struggle with that. He already saw the hardship and the bad times. He already saw when you would uh, stop going to church and you would fall out of love with Him. He already saw it but he stood there and he made a covenant with you anyway. And here's what he said. My gifts and my call can never be withdrawn because I went into the covenant already knowing it. You got to know something about your God. When you're in covenant with him, He has committed everything at his disposal to making sure that his plan, his promise, is completed in your life. He's committed to it. From the time you stood before him and said, Father, I give you my life. Be the Lord of my life. Be my Savior. Be my God. Forgive me of my sins. I want to enter into covenant with you. From the time you said that, everything else... He already knew it, and he entered into covenant with you anyway. He can't play dumb. He can't play ignorant. He's just God. What has God said about your life? You see, it doesn't matter a bit about your family background. It doesn't matter about your failures, your addictive behaviors, your losses, your setbacks, your struggles. Only one thing matters what has God said about your life? Because what he said can never be withdrawn. God said, I'm going to produce a Messiah through the Jewish people. Five world dominating kingdoms said, I don't think so. But God said, I will. And I always win. So the question for you is simply this Are you in covenant with God? Are you in covenant with God? Because if you're in covenant with God, His promises are yes and amen. He'll take as long as necessary. keep working on what he said he would do for you yeah I've, I've messed up pastor you don't understand maybe I don't but God already knew maybe I don't get it maybe I don't understand so be it I don't have to God does and he wants to make a covenant with you anyway do you have covenant with God If you don't have a covenant with God, you need one. You need to get a covenant with Him today. Because when you do, all of the promises held within this Bible, they then become yours. They then are put into your life. They're yours. They're your promises. It's your word. It's what God said over your life when you're in covenant with Him. I'm coming to close today If you've broken your covenant with God today, you need to know that He still loves you. So I want to read you one statement, and then we're going to close. One final statement. Those chosen by God to live in intimate fellowship and blessing were politically dominated, economically deprived, enslaved, defeated, and left to fight over scraps. They were spiritually separated from God. And into that world came an infant invader, a silent savior, an angel wrapped in rags, a king born to paupers, but destined by the word of God to reign. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what Christmas is all about. It's the greatest love story ever told. It's about a God who would never give up, who would never turn away from his covenant. I want you to stand with me today. We're going to close by taking communion, a sign of the covenant together. I want you to be in covenant with God.